Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes referred to as a young Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb! <laughs> Coming to you from the only place that will have us, and even then, we don't think they like us. We have such... Rob, I gotta tell you something. You don't know this, because I've kept this a secret, because I write the scripts and I don't let you look at them. But we have such a good show, it should be labeled classified. Listen at your own peril. That's how good it is. No, You're seriously, thinking there's that's enough, how good it is. There's enough goodness in the show, people can't take it. Oh, I forgot. I forgot, Rob. That's not today's show. I mean, the one I'm working on. Today's show is okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then I'm not going to get too excited. <laughs> I'll hold my anticipation. Today's show is just a regular, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> very pedestrian. <laughs> very, very pedestrian. We're but, but the worst show I'm working on, oh my God, it's so good. And it's coming up sometime. Oh, it's I'm not going to tell you when. I'd say sometime next year. You'll know it when you hear it. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be dancing girls and stuff like that. You'll go, oh, they put out all the expenses just for this show. And we'll go, yes, I told you, didn't I, two years ago? <laughs> so... We have today part two in our theme of artists with their own TV shows or variety shows in the 1970s. Uh, it was supposed to be, like I said last week, just variety shows. But Partridge Family got in there, kind yeah. of forgot that it wasn't a variety show. So, boogadoo to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But the Partridge Family, what other category could they be in? Uh, situation comedy. Uh, how many situation comedies involved me <laughs> in the 70s? I don't know. I'm I don't know. And, and most importantly, I really don't Almost care. none. Almost I'm going to venture almost none is my guess. So they were unique. I see. I knew this show was going to start mediocre. That's why I said it was going to be a mediocre show. Yeah, we're going to start mediocre and build up to more than mediocre. The, the kind of better than mediocre. The kind of, uh, <laughs> you're going to maybe regret switching to the gardening show. Which is happening very soon. <laughs> right now. <laughs> and we, we have an act that was one of the biggest stars of the 70s and are still household names to this day. I'm talking about uh, Sonny and Cher. And we will be reviewing their 1973 album, Mama Was a Rock and Roll Singer, and Papa Wrote All Her Songs. Catchy title. Long. Long. It's one of those, uh, we had this before when we were doing the progressive rock uh, uh, theme, where uh, sometimes you wonder, like, because you got to go up there and you got to go, excuse me, could I have Sunny get Sunny and Cheers' new album, Mama Was a Rock and Roll Singer, <laughs> and Papa wrote all her songs. Yeah, it's hard on the DJs. And then after you go through all they say, it hasn't arrived yet. Maybe you can come back next week and ask. See... Things were much more muddled back then because there was not a lot of communication. So they would, the record companies would tell you like, oh, it's going to be released on this day, but it could be released on any freaking week. Yeah, there were record companies and there were musicians involved in the mayhem. Well, it just wasn't, it wasn't an information age. We live in an information age now. We know when a record is going to be released. We know why it's going to be released. We know the songs that are on it. And back then it was like, it's a new album and, and uh, what the hell. 
Here it is. Here it is, buddy. We're dumping it on you. <laughs> a big load of new songs. Uh, yeah. That's a good title, yeah. That's the kind of title that sells records. Um, <laughs> Tough for a DJ to announce a song, yeah. I don't even... I had to look it up every time I wrote it in the script. I did, because I just couldn't remember exactly how it went. And, of course, with the title of a record, it has to go exactly how it went. So, I find that aggravating. I like the two-word titles of a record, like Rubber Soul. Yep. Because you know that it's going to be called Rubber Soul unless you say uh, Plastic Soul. And then people would get confused. I don't know that album called Plastic Soul. Now people are turning to the gardening show. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Also on today's show, uh, Rob will tell you how he only has one functioning testicle. Oh, no, wait. (laughs) We did that, didn't we? You told that story already. I did tell that story. It's just... You know what it is? It's it's the story that keeps on giving. Yeah. I, what happened to the other testicle? Mm. Why did it just suddenly give out one day? Yeah. It's, it's a story that never gets old. It's, it's oh, I love it. It's, I love <laughs> the story because because you're in so much pain because of the testicle oh, that the I love that part. The the pain and the effects and what I was yeah, going through. Yeah. And, I and then you, when stand. you went on the bus and you had all the pain and you didn't, yeah. the woman around you didn't know why you were like, you're breathing heavily and all white and <laughs> yeah, It's a good yeah. story. It should be told maybe once a year on our show. It should be like a Christmas story. <laughs> like uh, like uh, when Carson gets his balls squeezed by the monkey. <laughs> we don't talk about the monkey anymore. All right, no monkey. But soon, like in a couple of minutes. So, <laughs> so Rob, how was your week? And I say that because I need to get some water and I'll pretend to listen. Well, I had a job there, kind of, sort of, but I wasn't getting much work, so I uh, I quit, and I'm back to being unemployed again, and I think, uh, by golly, no, I'm out of thoughts. What next? Dunno. Only the future will decide. That's great. I'm glad things are working out for you. So, odds and ends. (laughs) Lost time is not found again. (laughs) This week on odds and ends, this week, last week on odds and ends, we had nothing. And you know why we had nothing? We it were on a break, a, remember? Yeah, it was like the three weeks yeah, off. Yeah, like, right. no, it's an ends. Jeez, I got no time for that. I'm busy partying in the Caribbean. Well, that's excessive. But I am busy. I, 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 busy. I, I, when I take my week off, I don't, I don't familiarize myself with everything that I have to do on the show. It's a week off. It's a week off. It wouldn't be a week off if you okay. had to think about this. So stuff. I have to make up for it this week. And... But this week, this week, it's a harsh topic on our our odds and ends. It's it's harsh. Do I want to hear it? Probably not. <laughs> Damn. We have to once I'm stuck here again. Address the issue of Rob getting uh, again the harsh words comes up. He's getting harsh to very hostile emails, oh, which shit. which happens yeah. since we started the show over that's three years. Ago. I've been asking myself, why am I here? I know. Now I know I I, I sympathize, but I also sympathize with the with the oh, audience the who writes in the emails because oh. I feel I feel that they have they have their their arguments are very uh, correct. I can't imagine what it must be like to be somebody else outside my body listening to me. It would be terrible. Terrible. Now we have done this sort of thing where we have to bring this up so many times on the show that it's kind of getting ridiculous. But I do understand what the people are saying about Rob being less than ideal on the show, I yeah. guess, is the, is the diplomatic way of What's saying it. What's he doing it. here? And sending in their hateful emails. 
But you have to understand, people, by sending in your hateful emails like, hey, why why do you have somebody who's such a simpleton on the show? Like something like that. Yeah, it's kind of like I've got a, a retarded um, a dog that could You can't uh, say that, better. by the way. Retarded? No, no dog. <laughs> <laughs> can't say dog. I believe it. I believe it. I have, a dog. I I have a dog. A four-legged uh, faithful companion. We'll <laughs> you leave can it at say that. dog. You just can't say the other word. Okay? okay. So to rephrase that, oh, I have a dog. We have a dog. We a dog who's uh, uh, no. I can't rephrase. He's a retard. Don't. You can't say that. People get mad and then they write that in. And they say, "Why is that guy such an idiot?" And I say, "You know what? On this one, just like the other ones, I agree with you. But but yeah, idiot or retard? That oh. is the question. I don't. know. Why are you digging yourself a hole? Why do you, and, and you don't even get the emails, so you don't have to worry about it. So stop saying exactly. <laughs> so it's not up. my hole. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, where was I? Oh yeah, hateful emails. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, you can't. You don't. Don't bother. Seriously, don't bother sending in the emails to me about Rob because it's not going to change. Because I don't have anybody to replace him. If I did, oh my God, you'd be gone so quick, Rob. Yeah. Where do we get someone? <laughs> yeah. Or something. We tried a bunch of others, mm. but uh, they were too easily distracted and wandered away. I don't. I don't get that. Um, auditions. Let's hold auditions. Oh, like people? Yeah. And they ran away. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand a lot of things you say. No, and you have to, you, I shouldn't be allowed see, to See, when you say things and, and, and you don't understand it, then you have to explain it. There's something about the, what you're saying that's that's wrong. Yeah, but is this new? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is man. Is this a new quality? It is not. So uh, <laughs> what we're taking away from today's odds and ends is uh, Rob's here to stay, unfortunately for all of us. Ironclad contract. He has a signed contract, and uh, he doesn't read the emails because he won't, and he doesn't care about them, and they're sent to me, and I got to read them. And yes, I do get laughs out of them because I agree with you, but uh, I don't want them. So don't send them. Send nice stuff. Send, like, nude pictures of your wife to me. I mean, that's fine. Although, don't. Legally, we can't say that. But if you did, I would not throw them out. I would have to look at them. Have to to know what they are to know that they shouldn't be there. Exactly. Yeah. And then don't please, husbands, don't send in new pictures of yourself because my stomach isn't good. <laughs> Not and so. I might, I might, you know, regurgitate some food I had just eaten. So only pictures of women, but no pictures in general. But if they do send nude pictures, make sure it's of your wife, girlfriend, or the woman next door who you are secretly voyeuring. <laughs> <laughs> I want to add in there, but I'll just get in trouble. You always get in trouble. I, I say things in a nice way so that we don't get in trouble. And then you say bad in words. A direct way. Bad words. Well, descriptive words. Words which uh, cut out a lot of the uh, the diplomatic uh, blah, blah, blabber that uh, people surround. I like when people say blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I like that. I know that we've lost everybody at the gardening show already, but I love the word blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Today, let's do that thing. We have another 
of my top 30 songs of all time on today's show. I think today's going to be a quick show. I think today we're <laughs> going to get under an hour. No, I do. We're already, we're already on the segment, and it's only 12 minutes into the show. I have a feeling we're going to have a, we're going to have a nice, clean 50-minute show like it's supposed to be. And if I'm wrong, I'll eat a bug. <laughs> Going back to SCTV, I'll eat a bug. And if I'm wrong, Alex, I'll eat a bug. <laughs> <laughs> Alex always got so mad. He did. He got mad at <laughs> and uh, so today, remember these 30 songs. I hate going over this. This is our 25th song. 25th. Which means we only have five more songs to do we're getting pretty near the end so and then I won't have to like say like this disclaimer which yeah. is these songs are fabulous but shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> these songs are fabulous majestic uh, timeless uh, should be in everybody's collection should be played every day some of these songs should be played every day today's is an example because it's just, it's 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 such a moving song and it's long that it should be in the right mood and it devastates you so much that uh, if you play it every day it it would devastate you every day and you shouldn't. But most of these songs should be played at least every week, and that's my opinion. You you everybody has their own top thirty songs of all time, I imagine, and uh, this is mine. I, and. I'm so happy. I like doing this segment, but I'll be so happy when it's done so I don't have to do the disclaimer of what the top, why there's the top 30 songs. <laughs> that was long. I bet you the actual song won't take up as much time. But go ahead. And also, the top, the top five, the top five songs which are left no. are the cream of the crop. Those top five songs. Say the best for in, in, in I did. I did. Those top five songs that I'll be doing, I'll be doing one next week on our show, are definitely my top. They're not in any order, but they're definitely my my top five songs of all time. These are the ones where if you don't like them, you're a monster. Monster's a tough word. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we agree on that. And uh, Yeah, and I keep on forgetting one. So I have to remind myself almost once every two days. I have four songs. Yeah, I have no, not to write down. I don't. I don't write shit down. Who writes shit down? Unless you're like a a, a person who writes shit down. I do it, but I get in trouble for it. There's one song I always forget. In fact, I can't remember it right now. (laughs) But I know what it is. It's in my memory, and I just have to wait. Sometimes I think that might be the song that I'll have to do next week, so I can put it out of the way and I don't have to remember it anymore. But when I remember it, I go, oh, yeah, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. But I can never really remember it. Strange, isn't it? A little strange. Okay, today's song, oh, I should have went over and, and pronounced it because I have a real... <laughs> if you would have seen me at home this week going on Google or YouTube to listen to how it's pronounced, it <laughs> made me laugh. Because I don't even think I can pronounce it. But today's song is from Miles Davis's 1960 album. One of my favorite albums of all time by far. Sketches from Spain. It is the beautiful Concierto de Aranjas. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Rob's looking at me like yeah. I'm making it up. And I'm not. I listened to this on the how do you pronounce word things 
on Google, and I must have listened to it 30 times, and every time it was, it was like, Aran, hi, hi. I think it's hi, hi. But you got to say it with a with a thing on it. No, I'm 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 serious. I'm not trying to be make a joke out of it. You have to say it like Aran, hi, hi, or Aran. Yeah, something like that. I didn't forget it. I'm sounding like somebody who needs medical help. Anyways, this song is called Concierto de Aranja. <laughs> it sounds like I'm making a joke and I'm why, not. Why would Miles Davis do that? Well, it's not a song he wrote. <clears throat> oh, okay. uh, and I'm going to tell you about that right now. Now... Um, let me just tell you a little story. Maybe we won't get to 60 minutes today. Maybe it might be longer because I have a... When I went, I went to one of these, I think it was about 1999, 1998. I went to one of these, um, you know, comic and record fairs uh, that every city has. Uh, where, and this was before they had record store day and everything like that. Like everybody would sell their old records and then they'd, you know, sell their comic books and everything. And they would do it like two or three times a year. Every city has that. So I went once and I had very little money. Uh, you know, I was just paying for the band and I was not, probably not working. And I remember I had like maybe a hundred bucks to my name. And I went down there and I said, I just want to see what it is because I have, you know, just like what musicians have with, with uh, guitars and instruments, they also have with records. It's like, it's like a fever comes over them and they have, when they see something, they have to get it. So I was hoping that I actually wouldn't find anything. What I found was the box set uh, which is my favorite box set of all time, and I have lots of box sets of Miles Davis and Gil Evans at uh, their complete collection, not Columbia, all their albums that they worked on together. Uh, Gil Evans was uh, a conductor and arranger, and what they did was when Miles Davis and Gil Evans would get together, they would have Miles play to Gil Evans' orchestra. Now, the orchestra was a horn orchestra not a string orchestra uh, and so all of the to me all of the work that they did was brilliant i listened to the record 600 million times all of them i mean but sketches of spain which is not even a jazz record it can be don't look at that thing it bugs me it, it pisses me off unless there's something wrong no it's all fine it's all good oh okay uh he's looking at the volume thing um so Sketches of Spain, uh, just it's not a jazz record. In fact, one of the most famous reviews of an album was somebody called, I love this record, it's brilliant, but is it jazz? And it's not. It's really more of a um, Inido, Inido uh, Morricone type of soundtrack to a, to a film. It's, it's more cinematic with the orchestra and everything than a jazz album. But anyways, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. And uh, the song, Concierto de Aranjarez. <laughs> I'm trying not to be funny, but that's how it's said. Is a classical guitar concerto by the Spanish composer Joaquino Rodrigo. It was written in 1939. And it is Rodrigo's best known work. And it is played by many people, actually. It's uh, played on a lot of... Um, what do you call that, Rob? Guitars? 
<laughs> I, every time I ask, like, what's that thing I'm looking for, Rob? It's never good. <laughs> Why you keep asking? It's just played by a lot of... Uh, musicians. Musicians. No. Well, of course it's played by musicians. It's just not played by robots. But I was saying, is, but it's played. Stupid answer. I don't know what the robot's like. Stupid answer. <laughs> but, oh, fuck. Um, it's just played by a lot of people in a lot of orchestras, uh, like Montavani and James Last and people like that. Fuck all of them. It's a standard. It's a, it's, no, I wouldn't call it a standard, but it's played quite a few times. Because the standard is something like yesterday, where they play, everybody plays it. I wouldn't say everybody plays this. But uh, it's heard in quite a few versions. But this version is not dead amazing. And it's tough to describe it because it's tough to describe instrumental music, especially, you know, um, music that's non-rock and roll, which I'm not too familiar with. And there's no lyrics, of course, because it's a Miles Davis record. So it's kind of tough to talk about, but I'm going to. It's the, it's the, it, it takes up almost half the record. It's 16 minutes long. I recommend you listen to this, Rob. It's, it's, it's just, it's just beautiful. And it, it, it's an arrangement by Gil Evans and Miles Davis of the adagio movement of the song. And uh, it's quasi-symphonic, quasi-jazz world of sound. Uh, it has many parts to it. Uh, it's a very dark piece of music. It sounds like, it kind of sounds like what would happen before a village in Mexico is or burned Spain. to the ground we'll or covered by a volcano. Yes, like in the Magnificent oh. Seven or something like that. Uh, before the invaders come and, and kind of conquer the town. And there's the one guy standing there and he says, well, I'll, I'll help you, and but we have to get our shit together. And it's kind of the music as it builds up uh, before the before the apex of the battle. That's what it sounds like to me. And it's very uh, very emotional as it draws you into the many moods of the song. I just find it devastating. I can only listen to it a couple of times because what I mean by a couple of times, I listen to it and then it's like I can't listen to it for a long time because it is it is so. T- it is very emotional for me. It's like a, it's like you get these emotional pieces of music that you listen to them at the right time, and then you kind of gotta back away because it just, it's just like whoa, it's just like too much. It's, it's really, uh, you know, something else. Music. It is overwhelming. It is an overwhelming piece of music. I, I compare it to uh, uh, what we did with the uh, adagio in uh, G minor that I already picked. As my favorite from Platoon, if anybody remembers that. Every time I hear that, I have that song. I think I said this on this you show. Sing, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, it was, uh, or that was a different one. Then. That's a different one. Okay. That's from Emoticone, and I picked a, a song from there. Okay. Uh, what I was trying to say is that I actually picked the Deggio in, in G minor. I think it's G minor. If I'm wrong, uh, sue me. I actually picked that for my funeral, in case it, whenever it happens. Uh, for the music there because I love the music so much of that it has a lot of that type of dramatic uh, weight to it unfortunately you know uh, I can't talk too much about it uh, just because it uh, it is it is what it is it, it has Miles playing over the the orchestra with his both his flugelhorn and his trumpet and um Yes, 
And there is not much you can say until you listen. It is one of those pieces of music uh, that is, first of all, too complicated to get to get involved with. Like, oh, we could go through each passage and go, oh, I love that. <laughs> that's <laughs> not that's not what we're here for. Uh, I just want to recommend it as uh, music that uh, you should at least listen to. Listen to the album Sketches of Spain. It is it is definitely one of my in my top 20 albums of all time. Rolling Stone rated Sketches of Spain, I think something like 300 or something, which is way too high for my liking. I think Sketches of Spain should be at least in everybody's top 50 uh, albums of all time. I think it's just my favorite, his favorite album of mine, even more than Bitches Brew and uh, Kinda Blue is Sketches of Spain. So, uh, yeah, and it's tough It's tough to do this because Rob never hears the songs that I talk about, so he can't really contribute to it. But this is your segment. This you is, know where I am? This is my I'm, segment. So I'm dreaming of being on a beach somewhere. <laughs> uh, and uh, any, any, I, I just like to end it by saying if there's anything that it sounds like, it sounds a lot like Enero Morricone's music that he does for his for his films it's like what like rob said once upon a time in the west very similar to that the uh, the passionate music uh, it's not static music that sits in one uh, groove exactly passionate music and it doesn't sit in one see even without hearing it he knows because <laughs> he knows he needed morricone's music especially for spaghetti western so uh you get that's the kind of feel it gives and it moves i it, the, the last point like it moves me in, into you know where you get moved, Rob, either by playing music to where you're almost not even here. You know what I mean? You're not even physically here. You're like being transported and everything else that's earthly doesn't exist. That's what this piece of music does for me for 16 minutes. Yeah, rarely I, I hide pieces of music like that. I don't share them with people. I don't understand that at all. But anyways, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I, mean I mean, anything that affects me like that, uh, any of the music, I tend not to... Um, uh, it's for me. I'm selfish. <laughs> well, that's selfish. <laughs> yeah, I'm perfectly I think you selfish, just, baby. I think you just said that. Because that's my reason for my top 30, <laughs> is so I want people to mm. listen to the things that, that move yeah. me into other places. But I understand, like... It's, it's, it's just to me. If I show no, it to people, it will be tainted and uh, I won't like it. As no, much. I understand. I understand there are it's people. Very personal. There are some people that that find it, like you just said, very personal. And I don't, I, I, I feel that's a part of me and I don't want to give that away to people. And then there's the other, like what I'm doing to try and get people to listen to it. I understand, obviously, I understand my point of view. I understand your point of view exactly. And uh, although I find it extremely uh, selfish and ignorant, mm. I understand. Selfish, you, yes. Ignorant, eh, yeah, debatable. debatable. No, no, no. I, I actually, I'm joking. I understand. Uh, I understand that. I actually kind of had that reservation my, about the. No, no. I had that kind of feeling. I did more like in the '80s about, you know, this is my, this is my. Uh, it was so personal, even though it's somebody else's music. It was, it felt like mine, and I didn't want people to share in it because it was mine. It was They're all mine. They're not going to enjoy it as much, and uh, and they might put it down. And yeah. I understand because I was like that, and I just maybe because of this show, I feel like I want to. 
I'm, you know, every time I told you that every time I've been at a party and people have asked me, uh, you put on a song now, it gets taken off halfway through. So, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the, uh, the Lou Reed magic and loss uh, story that I tell many times. <laughs> That's actually one of my favorite stories, even though it wasn't a happy story at the time. Still not a happy story. It's kind of funny now, but, uh. <laughs> Uh, by the way, if anybody is just listening for the first time or missed that episode, um, I'll just say that Magic and Lost by Lou Reed is the worst album to play on a beautiful sunny afternoon <laughs> in a crowded place. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're done with that. Oh, we're so oh, we're actually not that ahead of schedule. Uh, I know that I, I put a heavy emphasis on the time. It's just that we always go over time. And to yeah. actually be on time for once oh. would be cool, but we don't... If our producer was like even half-assed. <laughs> he's like he's like just a little bit ass. <laughs> no, he's like, he's like almost uh, five-eighths ass. I think he's just got a coating of ass. <laughs> And underneath, there's no ass at all. <laughs> if we had somebody to go like, oh, I like to be that with that. But you know what? We would do it anyways. Because if we're passionate about something, we would keep on talking about yeah, it. Yeah, we just screw you, producer. And uh, so it's not that... I'm never uh, mad that we go sometimes extremely long like we do. Because... Every time we go extremely long, it's for a reason. It's not to make the show long. It's because we have to get every point that we want in. And sometimes it takes a long time. And in, in, the, in the episode with Country Joe and the Fish, it didn't take long time at all. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens sometimes. Uh, I would rather say everything I want about the subject we're talking about, especially in the review section, than leave out stuff and drive home and go, shit, I wish I, I forgot them. About yeah, that. we do that sometimes when we go along. It's like, damn, that's why I put, That's that. why I made odds and ends, was because then I could go back to certain things and say, oh, remember last week's show? Well, I just wanted to say, and I've done that a few times. Uh, just in case the things that I really thought was important that I left out. I did that with Neil Peart, remember? <laughs> when I wanted to say what he said about selling England by the pound, and I wanted to put that oh, yeah. in. And so uh, that's the reason I started Oz and Ends, and then Oz and Ends turned into a whole behemoth all itself. But today we're going to uh, review another of our uh, uh, 70s variety acts, probably the most famous. Uh, oh, well, definitely, I think, the most famous. We are going to review, uh, and this is interesting, it's the final studio album by Sonny and Cher from 1973 called Mama Was a Rock and Roll Singer and Papa Used to Write Her Songs. But it was also only the second studio album that they released since they had their variety show and only their uh, like sixth studio album altogether. And this is a group uh, that had been together, Sonny and Cher had been together as a recording act since early 1965 and you look at 1965 to when they the show ended in 1974 to release only six studio albums i was quite surprised i thought there'd be like 20 i really did because you know how often yeah. especially middle of the road acts released albums in the 70s yeah. it was like, trip, 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 trip. see i was surprised because i knew sunny some of sunny bono's songs and he was a writer but then i'm looking at the albums like uh, most of these are covers and uh 
Another thing that was pointed out um, very succinctly in in when I was doing the uh, background for this album was that was a disappointment in this is because it did only have the one Sonny Bono song on it. And Sonny is noted for his songwriting. And of course, he's noted for handling the music part yeah. of, of the Sonny and Cher. And Cher, of course, handles the star quality and the unbelievable singing and all that stuff. And he handles the behind-the-scenes production and all that. But I was quite shocked that there was only one Sonny song because he does write great songs. So yeah. um, that was surprising. What the hell? And then I was surprised that, yeah, that it was only the second album. They And they, other than that, they only released two albums from Las Vegas. They released one more album uh, uh, after this in 1974 before they broke up for good as far as a recording act. They, they did a Las Vegas album. Which did very well. Uh, so they did two live albums, but only six studio albums, and that's that's a, that's not a lot for a band that was around for nine years uh, at least. Uh, especially in that time when you were released, like nowadays, yeah, that'd be a lot of albums. Two a year, at least yeah. once or twice. <laughs> nowadays, that'd be a whole lot of albums. But back <laughs> then, when you released two, three albums a year, especially with the middle of the road act. Uh, it's 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 it really shocked me actually. It re- I thought I would have all these albums to pick from, and I only had two. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been busy with the show. <laughs> and I, I want to yes, I actually want to explain that. I I I really think that the 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 reason for that was Sonny's part was, and I'm not. I'm just. I'm of course just um, speculating. Assume, speculating about what happened but Sonny's was was the show and Cher was releasing a, a whole bunch of, of solo albums she has released up to date I counted about 32 solo albums <laughs> from the late 60s to to now so has released uh, 30 plus albums and she was releasing an album a year at that point so Cher's main gig during the variety show years was her music and and i think sunny's was definitely listen you do your your solo stuff i'll help you with your solo stuff because sunny was very controlling like i'll be part of the solo stuff but then i'll i'll do the stuff for the show and arrangements and what songs to do and how the show is going to do and blah 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 and the thing will be the music that we're selling will be your music instead of ours that's why i think there was only two albums that they ever did yeah. because it wasn't it, a, it wasn't a big sell and you can tell this album only got up to whereas Cher's album made the top 20 and stuff like that all the time uh this album like got up to like uh 156 or something like that like it did it did extremely poorly for uh such a well-known act. I I, I noticed in the, the, doing the um, uh, the, my little bit of research for the show, uh, the number of replays is not that uh, that great. And, no, uh, the information I was looking for on the album um, there there was very little. Yes, uh, not surprising because I didn't think that their albums that they did do even 132 is how far it got on the Billboard 200, which is not good. It means it hit a peak at 132 and it which is really strange for an act that is on TV every week. So you have to understand, I guess, that the the people who are watching the shows, which I guess are people in their 30s and 40s, not they're not kids, are uh, are not record-buying people. And yet Cher's was, because she her solo career was more uh, commercial. 
and they didn't really want to, you know, oh, I love the show, but I don't really want to buy a record from them, I guess was was the the thought. You said something just a couple of minutes ago that I, I liked, but I can't remember what it was now. I can't remember. <laughs> and to ask him was like, eh. So uh, before we get into the album, I just want to say, as Rob was pointing out before the show, because uh, he was looking at a clip from the old, oh, yeah, the old show. Um, Jeff sure. Piccaro oh, plays, uh, in fact, a couple of guys from the band who became Toto played on this album. Dave David Page also played on this album. Both uh, were only 19 years old. Yeah, I was looking at the, uh, the the replay video there and the drummer was really young. I'm like, uh, Jesus. He's very young. If you go on YouTube and, and, and write uh, Punchy and Mama was a rock and roll singer and blah, 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 you will come up with that clip on yep. YouTube and you will see a drummer who looks very, very young. That's the incredible Jeff Beccaro on drums who is, of course, unfortunately died very young from um, a bee sting of all terrible things. Huh. Yeah. Where's your reaction? Yeah. Huh. In 1992, he was already acknowledged as one of the great drummers, especially a studio drummer. He could play anything. And he died at an amazing young age. Everybody knows him who's a musician. Everybody knew Jeff Beccaro. It was like, yeah, you should play like Jeff Beccaro, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but this was his first gig, and David Pace, who was also on this album. Uh, from Toto, uh, did the who did the keyboards and stuff. This was their first gig at 19 years old with Sonny and Cher. And if you look at all their credits on Discogs or whatever, you'd see that they played on hundreds of records. This is their first one. And it's interesting because, of course, being an act that, uh, like Sonny and Cher, that has such a backing with the television company and everything, they got their pick of, you know, people. So they, they picked the best musicians that they could. Um, I also just want to point out, like, I don't know if people go back that far. I'm not sure. But I barely do. But I remember that my family watched that show every week. And I remember watching yeah. it every week. Yeah. I have, I remember it being on the TV. Do you? Yeah. yeah. See, everybody's... See, and that's what I get kind of getting at is that our moms and dads watched it. Like, they liked it. Even though it was Sunny and Cher back in the 60s were these freaks, right? Yeah. Uh, but all of a sudden when they got on... They, uh, they were nice they people. Really, they really you had liked a, them. They liked them. They were very, they were very appetable. Actually, when you see them, there's a chemistry there. When you see Sonny and Cher on there, that relates to everybody. But they're very family friendly. I was sad when I heard they were breaking up. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> so was I. Uh, and they did come back. You know, uh, Sonny had his show, which only ran for 13 episodes. Cher had her show, which actually was very popular which ran for like a year, but she didn't want to do it because there was too much responsibility. And Sonny wasn't doing, of course, all the stuff that he would normally be doing. She said, I can't do all this. And then it was told to them, well, why don't you guys get back together for the show and you'll be a divorced couple. But, you know, and that worked for, you know, about 33 episodes, about a season and a half. And, uh, and it was still strong, but the variety show was dying by 1977. Yeah. 
And they it just was they the just early yeah. early seventies kind of thing. That was when it was uh, in the early in the early set. You're right. In the early seventies, like every it seemed like every third show was a variety <laughs> show. But by 1977, punk rock and disco were coming along, and people weren't too entranced by uh, the Sonny and Cher thing anymore, or anybody's variety show. Almost every variety show kind of didn't do too well in the late 70s yeah. until it faded completely. I can't think of too many variety shows beyond the 70s. No, neither can I. I can I think know of some low-budget uh, local ones. but uh, I know that there are many that try, but I don't know many that, that were very... Donnie and Marie is the only one that I can think of, actually. They were a good... Cue next good, week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other variety shows that I could think of were, uh, the, like I say, Captain and Tennille had one. and um, uh, it didn't last long. Tony Orlando and Dawn there. Oh, we watched that. I remember. Oh, see, now we're going to go long. <laughs> <laughs> but Tony Orlando and Dawn, which, of course, became, was actually the show that was substituted in between the two Sonny and Cher shows. The original one, until they divorced. And then when they came back as a divorced couple. And I tell you, my family watched both those Sonny and Cher shows every week. And I watched them too because I was just a kid and I liked it. I didn't know much of anything. And I have, of course, we were so young, Rob. Yeah, the memories exactly. of it are very... like seven, no, eight or nine, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Very dim memories of it. But I just remember that everybody watched it. Like everybody watched it I until more, a certain time. You know? I definitely remember more of the Osmonds. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, that's next week. Anyways, <laughs> that's next week. Um, and Looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't. I'm just. I just wanted to point that out because people don't know how immensely popular that show was, and it got mentioned like, you know, on other shows, like oh, maybe like Sunny and Cher, and, and you know, uh, it was just one of those water cooler shows, which you know, it wasn't exactly a fantastic show. It was a variety show, and I saw a clip the other day, you know, uh, and it wasn't very funny. But it, but you still liked it because they came across so they came across so natural and had a great chemistry that you couldn't help but like the show. You could not like the show yeah. unless you were a real curmudgeon, <laughs> and that's why the show was so popular. I just want to point out really quickly before we go to the album is that how they came onto the show from these couple of hippies that were counterculture to having a show is that they did a movie called Chastity that Sonny put all his money into and shares starred in in 1968. It flopped big time. They eventually called their daughter Chastity, who changed to Chaz when he she became a man. It's confusing, I know. And so they weren't getting any hits because the music had changed by 1968, 69, and it wasn't their folk rock type of thing anymore. And they weren't, uh, you know, they were kind of drained of money because the, the movie bombed and they didn't know where to go. So they started doing uh, lounge acts in various uh, hotels in cities, kind of like the low end of the rung. But they made, a, they made uh, a guest appearance on the Merv Griffin show and um, I forget his name. Fred Silverman saw him from NBC or CBS at the time. I can't remember. Uh, if it was CBS or ABC, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But he, but he saw guy. him. He saw them on the show, on the Merv Griffin show. And he saw them doing their lounge act. And he said, that's it. That's where these two should be should be doing. That's Because they were they were stuck in Nowheresville. They could have been Nowheresville. They could have been one of those acts. 
you see at a at one of those banquets and buffets that do you remember these songs? <laughs> do you remember these songs? But no, Fred Silverman saved them and said, no, these 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 two are funny. They have a great rapport, and the audiences love them. And voila, 1971, they got a test for their show, and they never looked back. Mm-hmm. And now they're they're literally both of them are literally legends. Yeah. In the music, in the in the entertainment world, I mean world. the amount and um, everybody the volume knows. of work of share. Oh, uh, exactly. Sonny, you know him both from music uh, as the mayor of Palm Springs. Last I heard, uh, I think uh, everybody knows what 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 Sonny has done. Even like Cher, of course, has become a great actress and has become an icon yes. in the music. <laughs> I industry. forgot about her But Sonny right. has also become an icon, and everybody knows that. Oh. Like everybody knows, like I could ask my mom and she goes, oh yeah, and he was the mayor of Palm Springs and then he was, you know, running for U.S. Senate and blah, blah, blah. And then he died in that terrible thing. And, yeah, but, uh, and everybody knows all these little things about Sonny and Cher because I think everybody feels that they're, they're almost family, that they know them, that, you know. We liked them. We liked we them. We liked them. Yeah. We liked them <laughs> together so much. And we always wish they would get back together. That could never be possible. <laughs> but we all liked them because when they were together, they just... They, they just, were so good on They stage, were so good. They just they. feel... You just felt they belonged together. And I, I was very sad when I heard it. And I was just a kid. And I heard that, you know, the Sonny and Cher got, show got canceled because they got divorced. I was like, I don't want them to get divorced. Damn, <laughs> <laughs> like, I like them. So the question is, we're brought up with, is... How was their very brief musical surgeon in the 70s, which was two albums? And we're going to talk about that today with their final album, um, Mama Was a Rock and Roll Singer. And um, Papa used to write all her songs. What'd you say to me? Papa, don't take no mess. <laughs> I know, but I'm not going to say the whole thing every time I want to talk about the record. I think you ought to as a matter of professionalism. Okay, Mama was a rock and roll singer. Papa used to write all her songs. All right? Are you happy? I didn't hear an and in there. It doesn't say and. Doesn't it? No. It ought to. That's, a mistake, of, that's a mistake of Sonny's. Hmm. No, I think Mama was a rock and roll singer, and then it's kind of like a comma. Papa used to write all her songs. Well, kind of like uh, I was telling you, I'd never typed in that Shift 7 thing when I was looking for Sonny and Cher. <laughs> These are just all these symbols that don't normally get used. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Not by real people, anyway. Anyways, <laughs> I, I was expecting a lot of, I don't know, and I don't want to knock Tom Jones because I like Tom Jones in some ways. I haven't heard enough of his 70s studio albums i just love his live records i love his singles that he released but i thought it'd be a lot of uh um horns and shit and stuff that wasn't necessary a lot of like a lot of las vegas acts back then and i was surprised that uh even though this is not uh brimming from song to song of of amazingness you know, half the album is really good and uh, songwriting wise, and half the song, half the album is is not. But I was surprised that it's kind of hip in its way. Um, uh, of course, you can obviously tell that by Sonny's song, which is is over nine minutes long, and even though it's kind of um, a train wreck. <laughs> It has. Oh, oh no, 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 no! Just to, wait. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say because yeah. uh, I will let Rob talk about this, but 
it starts to me like a train wreck because he, he, he tutored under uh, Phil Spector. And that's how he learned everything is that he was like Phil Spector's like right the guy right under guy. Him. Right. And so you get a lot of that on the song Mama Was a Rock and Roll Singer. Pop used to write all our songs. I'm not going to say that every time. Fuck you. Just, just say you get that a lot on the title track. That's what I do. The, the title track. track. I, got, I got that most of the, the first half uh, was to me kind of like a train wreck. It was kind of like, oh, there's too much, there's too much noise going on, too much music going on. I, I, I don't really like uh, the song. And then I really, it's funny, then it goes into this Hey Jude part at the for the last the five minutes of the song reprise which uh, yeah, right uh, yeah, yeah which is and I wish I could remember it I should have wrote it down but uh, I, I know that people can't be all like me uh, I sing in juke I sing in jukebox harmony I can only sing in two part harmony I think it was two part harmony. no I think it was jukebox, jukebox harmony. harmony yeah because jukebox was mentioned earlier in the, okay. in the lyrics yeah, of the song yeah, yeah. yeah. I can only I, wish I can only sing in jukebox I very wish, well I wish they'd enunciate a little bit and at first I was going like okay okay but it's funny because as it built and went along you would think I would get bored of that. I was actually getting more moved as it went along and went along and went into the seven minute and then went into different music and then they keep adding and they and kept layering, on singing. Just like, yeah. Yes, and then it got a little bit layered with the singing and I was starting to get goosebumps. I was why is this all of a sudden affecting <laughs> yeah. me now? The first time I listened to it, it was like, you can't carry that much of the song on those two lines. Come on, smarten up. Yeah, you got five whole minutes yeah. on these two lines and yet it works. It's actually my favorite part of the song. I uh, I thought that uh, actually the first four minutes, were, which is the actual song, was pretty weak. And, and like I said, kind of... Uh, uh, a mishmash. Yeah, and, I found and, it to be all right. A train wreck. See, yeah, that was my opinion. I, I can understand how it some, was interesting in that it had a few different parts there, which um, it wasn't a, a standard A B A B C D right. song, which I liked also. Yeah, I just didn't think it worked. I just didn't. I just thought there was something missing that there. A train wreck is a little bit too bad, but there was so much music. Sometimes it felt like a train wreck, but I think that was on purpose. So maybe calling it a train wreck is not right. He definitely wanted it to sound like a Phil Spector production, which uh, you know is great because he knows big how to sound, do that. Big, but big. I really love that five minute outro. I mean, I really did. I would get into it more and more as he sang it, and it became more emotional when he's like to me, like it was like, yeah, I'm not like everybody's not like me man <laughs> I sing in my own type of harmony I was starting to get actually really get into what he was singing uh, of course and share I should point out that this album is very to me when listening to it I'd like to get Rob's opinion to me it was a very much of Sonny's album because he put it together musically and I felt that Sonny did most of the singing I felt that hey Cher releases all her albums all the time and gets on the chart let this album be more, let me express a little bit. Now, I don't know if Rob felt that, but I felt that every time I listened to it, I thought, you know, Sonny is putting himself really up forward on this record. I felt Cher, very be, Cher was very much, okay, Sonny, this is your record. It, this is your labor of love. You go for it. You know, I found it to be very duo-ish. Oh, you did, eh? Okay. Yes, uh, I a lot of the, there was neither of them left not singing for very long. I was uh, listening uh, to, to find places. 
I know the, the first two songs on the second side, By Love I Mean, I think that's um, all mostly Cher singing that one. Mm -hmm, that is, actually. And, that's the uh, one song where she sings the most, by the way. Yeah, Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show. That's the one where um, uh, Sonny kind of takes the lead. But all the other ones, they were kind of trading off like two lines here, two lines there. And they were playing. See, but they were, but I think I agree with you that Sonny never sang like a whole song by himself, like Cher pretty much did with By Love, I mean. But I do think that he almost always started a song and he got a few more lines than Cher in yes, the song. Yes, I did. It, 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 his voice kind of caught me off guard on the opening song when It Never Rains. It was like, oh, yeah, that's Sonny's voice. And I thought, you know, uh, I don't know if that would work so well without Cher. It's, he's got a good voice, but it's a, no, it right. almost sounds like a novelty voice. No, you're right. But then when he combines it with the, when he and Cher are singing, they sound great. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> I, I like his distinctiveness of his voice, but it makes it, it's made palatable for a whole album, even maybe for a whole song only, because of Cher's that counterbalance, uh, that balance that, uh, yeah. to it. Uh, that's why I think Sonny never released a solo album, is because of that. But it is a very interesting voice to contrast with Cher. And I think he does most of the singing. Very, like most of what I mean is 60% to 40%, which is yeah. not, it's not an overwhelming majority. But you can feel this is Sonny's album. This is his statement he wants to make musically that he doesn't get to make. I mean, two albums in, in since they started their show, it's not a lot of statements to make. She's making two albums a year. <laughs> She gets to make all the statements. I, I think this is, hey, let's do one album together. And and then when Sonny gets behind the board and starts doing his thing, then it becomes, you know, I like it. But I like that. I like that uh, it, there there does seem to be a 50-50 to it, although it's a little yeah, bit more Sonny. Yeah, I got a mental picture. Now, I don't know how much of this was actually used for the show. But uh, I got the mental picture. A lot of it was written to kind of be performed on stage, where both of them kind of you have an definitely equal got that with Brother Love's traveling show, which mm. I think is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. one kind of cut. Uh, it, 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 uh, when I was playing it in the early morning, it uh, when that one came on, it would uh, I'd worry about waking people up with that one. <laughs> Who's so yelling I, I over there? Rushed over and turned it down. Yeah, the, the song uh, of course has uh, has Sunny kind of. Pretending he's a barker and trying to sell this this yep this uh, ointment. And which Cher's coming in in the background vocals really uh, cool. I know yeah. it does. It is really <laughs> cool, which is unfortunate because uh, the it really only happens. It happens a little bit later in the song where he starts doing his barkering and hey, everybody come around and get Sonny's elixir and that's really aggravating. But he only does it at the beginning and then after that they they do the the, again, into the again, when they do, they have a great band, by the way. And secondly, when they start to sing together, it like it like kind of alleviates the painfulness of something that may have came before, you know. So half the song is it just was dreadful to me. I mean, it's a bad choice. It sounded almost exactly like one of their songs, like you said, they would do on the show just for the show's purpose. Yeah, and that was the one that I thought uh, really did it. Um, by the way, yeah, we talked about Mama was a rock and roll singer. I really, I really like that. I, I, I really like the end. I think, and what I wanted to say was, 
who the hell in their position does a nine and a half minute song? <laughs> I found that so gutsy in itself. Yeah, I, I found that weird. Like I was listening to it and I was thinking, uh, you know, the only way uh, this had to be written for the show. So I'm going to watch the show now and uh, see if, and even on the show, it kind of uh, felt like uh, it only would work if it was like at the end of the season and they were doing a big wrap up finale. I watched that also at home and uh, I even found it strange, even though it's cut in half as the single was. And it ended before the part came up uh, with the coda on on the, on, yeah, the on big the, finish there. The big, the big finish drive, for yeah. five minutes. It was kind of like cut at four and a half, just like it is on the show. And I still feel it's a strange song. You know what I mean? Like for to be performed on the show, I thought it was kind of strange. And even though it's very palatable, it is a very strange song. And it's uh, it it. It's it's interesting, which I always love, no matter if it works or not, and it does work yeah. for me. And the last in the last refrain for five minutes, it actually, as I told, as we discussed, it works for me big time, but and the first part doesn't. But just the whole concept of having an MOR record with a with an almost ten minute song, when I saw that before I listened to it, I go, it kind of seemed natural because it's it's sunny, right? This is not Captain and Tennille. Yes. No harm to Captain and Tennille, but fuck you. <laughs> but you know Captain and Tennille is not going to do a whole song for 10 minutes. But these, but you know Sonny would do it. Yeah. And that's what I liked about the guts. And who's going to get this? They're not uh, a, appeal to a rock and roll type of audience that are listening to Pink Floyd. And it's going to turn off uh, all the adult audiences, which don't want to hear nine-minute songs in the first place, especially songs this weird and adventurous. So I find... That, that that's a really gutsy choice because you know it's only an artistic choice because you know nobody's going to like it. Yeah. You do I'm know sure there that. are people trying to talk about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I could see that. I could even see Cher going like, why are we doing a 10-minute song? Like, it's going to kill the album and the single's not going to do well. Cut in half. And he says, I don't care. I feel I got to get this, this song is the one. This is the way I want to do it. That's why I, I got like in my it. mind and this is what I want to do. That's why I like I it. I say, fuck yeah. So I just want to go through a couple of other things. Uh, I actually, even though it's almost a carbon copy of the Albert Hammond song, It Never Rains in Southern yep. California, to me, I like it better because every time I hear on the radio now or even back then, I never really listened to the lyrics. It always seems so pleasant. It never rains in Southern California. I got the lyrics. Did you this listen time. to the lyrics? Oh, that is, it's this a is very one of my favorite songs. Dreary it is song, so... isn't it, Rob? That uh, final uh, verse just grabs me. And there's something about Sonny singing the lyrics and Cher singing the lyrics when they get the chance that hits home the meaning of the song, which I don't get when I hear Albert Hammond's version. When I get when I hear Albert Hammond's version, which I also like, but I never got the song. And I've listened to it 600, 700 times over my lifetime. And every time I hear it, I go, oh, that's a pleasant song. You know, sometimes it never rains in Southern, in Southern <laughs> California. And then this is the first time I listen to it. And I go, holy smokes, this is not a happy yeah, song yeah, at this all. Is like a, <laughs> this uh, is like I'm a bum on the street. This, <laughs> it didn't work. And I don't want anyone to find out about it. The, the shame involved. Of, I love this version. I just thought that even though it's very similar, it's not. It, on the surface it's very similar but it's not it's not and I was very struck by that um, I also really liked their cover version of I Can See Clearly Now again I liked it better than the Johnny Nash version and I think it's because of the backing and uh, the vocals again of the two of them just for me personally I, 
I think it really brought home. I found Johnny Nash's version, or I find Johnny Nash's version very um, one note. It's like in the clear in our head has gone. Yeah, kind of. Where, where I found more, I find more dynamics. Thicker and fuller and richer yes. and yeah, yes, bigger. Yes, I find it thicker and fuller and more meaning when Sonny and Cher do it. And I think that has a lot to do with Sonny's production, his wall of sound type of production to give it that full meaning. And I got both in those songs, I got a lot more out of it. In fact, in all the songs, I find his production to be quite exemplary because he makes even an average to poor song at yeah. least listenable. I uh, liked uh, the covers I recognized um, a little better than the, the other ones. Um, the one question, The Greatest Show on Earth, who does that one? I think that was written for them. It was written for them? It's a great song. It is a fantastic song. It is a great song with great <laughs> lyrics, don't you think? Yes. That's oh. it. The lyrics got me. That's it. I had to keep... They drew me in. When you get a smart song with something to say, and you combine it with the music to get the emotion across... Boy, I that's totally agree, what it's, That's what you're aiming for in writing music. And I, I, boy, I totally agree there. with you. I, have, I don't know what I can say anything more than what you did, <laughs> but I love smart pop songs. I hate... If there's anything I hate... As you know, like a, like a sometimes when we touch by by Dan yeah. Hill, I hate more than anything stupid pop songs. But I love almost more than anything else if you can do in the pop song medium, which is very limited medium, to be smart and yet grab you emotionally without without trying to pull your heartstrings. Yeah. But do it in a smart intellectual way. The greatest show on earth may be the highlight for me on this album because the production is brilliant. The singing is brilliant and the lyrics are more than brilliant. And you put that all together and it's like, this song's pretty devastating. <laughs> like, this is not pap. This album is not pap. And that's what I didn't think that... Yeah. I think, I thought that maybe, you know, knowing how artistic Sonny was, I didn't think it was going to be pap, but I thought there'd be a lot of pap on here and it would be really hard to listen to. This is actually I was an surprised. album that I would buy if I was in 1973 and I got a chance to hear it. Of course, you would never probably hear this album in the, in the people in the kind of people that we hung around with. We'd go, oh, I love the show. I'm not going to buy an album. My, son That's funny, My parents like them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I would be missing out because I think that just on the, al- the songs we've talked about alone, The Greatest Show on Earth. Uh, Mama was a rock and roll singer. I can see clearly now. It never rains on Salem, California. Those four songs alone are reason to buy this record. Now, I'm not saying there's not there's not uh, songs that don't really like. I believe in you is terrible. It has almost a kids' chorus where they just kind of sing and and it just it's it's it shows the opposite end of they didn't get good songwriting and there's not much you can do about a bad song sometimes. Yeah, you can do your best, but... Uh... Yeah, it's still going to be not too good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and there is a terrible, and it's fortunately it's the last song on the album, a terrible cover version of the Doobie Brothers Listen to the Music, which is exactly what you stereotypically would think this album is going to be. If it was one song that I thought this album, like a Las Vegas act Steve and Edie would do, Steve Lawrence, Edie Gourmet, this would be it. Listen to the music. Oh, listen to the music with no feeling to it. And then horns and strings. And oh, it's like they don't get it. Counting on the production to carry it. Yes. 
well, the other people like this song, so we'll do this song. <laughs> yes, this was that sounds like, and I hate that, and I hate that, you know, like like the Steve and Edie, which Sonny and Bono are not. The Steve and Edie thing, or any of those acts in the 70s that, that went on The Tonight Show and did their songs and, and would do the hits of the day just because they thought the audience would like it, but they had no feeling for it. That's what Listen to the Music sounds like. That's what I wish this album was not like, and it's not, and I'm really happy it's not. Unfortunately, once or twice they slip into that kind of appeal to the audience type of thing instead of appealing to their art. But yeah. actually, it's a very artful album. This is album is made as an album, not as a bunch of singles. Yeah, I didn't know if it would be just a kind of a uh, an aside from the show, just a bunch of a, almost a soundtrack or a collection, like we did last week with the Carpenters. Yes, not Carpenters. The Partridge family. The Partridge family. Yeah. Uh, the very first comment I wrote on this, which in listening to it, it, it kind of blew me away. Is I wrote down a little more rock and roll and a little more experimental than I expected. That was my surprise there for this both, album. Both I agree with. I agree with that. I did not expect it to be so rock and roll. I did not expect it to be so experimental. And I just didn't expect it to be sometimes... Uh, good. So good. <laughs> I, I didn't expect it to be so kind of anti their audience. Like their audience is not... This is, this is maybe why it didn't do well. Is that the people who buy their... Who would buy their records? Like our parents who were yeah. watching the show, I could see my parents hating this album because this is an album I would like, not the <laughs> album they would like. And I like that. That's saying like, hey, we may do a show every week and we do all these hits that you want to hear when we're doing an hour show, which means we have to do 22 hours or 23 hours a year. And that's a lot of songs, right? So we're doing a lot of schmaltzy cover songs. But when we're in the studio, man... <laughs> That's my problem. Like if you're, you're sunny, that's my province right there. Yeah. That's my that's my you're area. in my jungle now. Yes, uh. exactly. And you're gonna get what I feel is our artistic statement. This may be only uh, forty minutes long, and this may be pittance compared to the twenty three hours a year you get to see me. But these forty minutes mean a lot to me, and that's what I get from this album. Is that this meant a lot to Sonny, and it really was his last album because. He never made solo albums, so this was his last artistic statement on a record. And um, good. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised, just like I was surprised, pleasantly surprised uh, with the Partridge family. Uh, I'm even more surprised with this, even though I'm not going to give it a huge rating, just because, uh, I don't know, it, 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 there's a lot of dross on here, but the highlights are the yeah. highlights. I mean, they're strong. And, and the, the thing that brings it down are the weak points are the weak points. <laughs> They're really weak. And uh, I give it three stars, but it's a very strong three stars. And, and I recommend that actually, if you're a rock and roll fan, don't just automatically dismiss Sonny and Cher because I think there's, I think there's there. I think there's stuff there and I think there's stuff you're going to like. And they're not your Las Vegas act. They may be when they release their their out al- their live albums, but I don't know what their other album that they did in the seventies is like. I heard it was actually very good. I'd like to listen to it because you only have to listen to two albums, right? Um, this could have been really good. This it's almost a sad album because you could almost I could see Sonny doing so much, but when Cher left, he concentrated more on the TV and other aspects, and of course the political thing. I think I think one of the tragedies uh, of Sonny and Cher uh, divorcing and uh, was this was that 
that we don't get the Sonny's we music. We lost our Sonny's music, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so three stars, a very strong three stars. I give it a three and a half. I, I like this album. I started off kind of um, a little cautious to it, but uh, the more I listened to it, um, uh, the more I started to like it. Um, but there is something I have to mention. Remember after last week's show, we were talking about uh, how you had memories of the Partridge family, um, uh, the show, and mm-hmm. you know, in seeing it, uh, that it endeared you to some of the music. And as a consequence, uh, you liked it a little more than I did. Right. And I was um, uh, doing this one, and uh, the title track there, the first time, a couple of times I listened to it, uh, you know, I was kind of like, that's not good, and it's way too long. uh, That's what I thought when I first heard it, yeah. (laughs) And I um, uh, got to thinking, well, was this, uh, you know, for the album or for the show? Maybe I should uh, put on the uh, the Google on YouTube and actually see them doing it live on a show and see, well... Maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's like, you know, a bunch of visual stuff there that... And I found there wasn't, but uh, uh, in seeing them do it and perform it, uh, I just, I grew to like the song because of that. uh, Very gutsy to do that song. Not only gutsy to do it live in general, but to do it live (laughs) on a nationwide TV show that you almost know that the the fans are not going to (laughs) like. Don't you find that so fucking gutsy? Kind of, but I I always think, you know, with how likable they were, yeah, they could sell it. Yeah, I like they, it. They could. Uh, they were the, the audience. Didn't they had you the like audience, it a little bit more? They weren't going to turn away from that. Yeah, I like that. It's gutsy, and it shows that you know what. Just because you may not like it doesn't mean that we can make it more palatable when we do it live. And they did do it really good live. They did. And even though they only did half the part, I would have loved to have heard the the ending of the last of course they're not going to play 10 minutes but even even a couple minutes of that because it is very it's a very captivating thing and i wish people would understand that how just like with hey jude how it gets stronger and stronger at the end yeah. when they do the refrain how it gets stronger it builds and, and it builds yeah. and you actually get emotional you actually feel that that it you're that like you're, you're marching that towards something great. <laughs> you're that sentence that he's saying. First, you think it's sunny because that's kind of sunny, right? Like people aren't like me, and uh, they can't, they don't sing in jukebox harmony like me. Then you're feeling that's me after a while. Like it kind of gets to you. Like after listening to it for a couple of minutes, you go, "Fuck you, that's me." <laughs> they don't get me. People aren't like me. They aren't all like me. And I sing the way I sing. And it gets, it actually gets really emotional just the more they do it. And the music changes. Sonny's very smart to change the music around him and to build it. But also not just to build it with the same music, but to change it around a little bit. I'm, I'm not surprised because I, I know how great Sonny is, but I, I am surprised because I didn't expect a Sonny and Cher album to be so creative. Yeah, that what? Yes. <laughs> Holy cow, the point I was trying to make is after seeing it and after seeing them, my esteem for the song, it grew. And then uh, whenever I played the album, it was like that was the one I was looking forward to hearing. No, I agree. I did too. And when that I is saw it. weird in that uh, the, the personalities of the people doing the song affects how much you like the song. But it did for me too. When I saw that clip, <laughs> I said, you know what? That first half, which I thought was so dreadful, it's not that dreadful anymore. And I, even when I was saying, at the, when we were reviewing this today, I was going, I don't really feel... That was how I felt when I first listened to it. And I started to back away from my, this is, this is kind of uh, like a, a mess. 
at the beginning and then I was going back and thinking of them doing it live and I said it's not a mess it's actually calculated <laughs> it's actually a studio concoction and when they do it live the feeling and emotion of how they really especially Sonny really wanted to get this song to the audience in in a, as big a way millions of millions of people watching and uh, yes, now I think of it in those terms of them performing it. And I say, you know what? This is not, I don't only, I, I actually kind of like the beginning now. And it makes me appreciate the end even more. Well, that's the weird thing is that, um, that the music uh, we're listening to, the, the song, it physically hasn't changed. But our perception of it has because of uh, the, who we perceive singing it. Exactly. Which is why you always have a preconceived notion of every album that we listen to I not mean you I mean yeah. us us in general we do the humans. we all have yeah we're humans and we have a preconceived notion oh I bet you I bet you the Partridge <laughs> family is going to be a whole lot of fucking strings and shit like that which it is but it was also very thoughtful songwriting and then you come in with Sonny and Sharon I remember all those songs they used to have to do during the show and they'd make it all Vegas with but that's just for TV and at that time, when you saw it once, it disappeared and you never thought it would come back again. Yeah. So you could say, oh, we could do this schlock and nobody's going to remember it. Uh, they hardly even videotaped things back then. Um, but they did videotape TV shows, but you didn't replay them. Once you replay them once and, and it went past the yeah. repeat cycle. The fact that those shows never went into syndication of any kind. Because variety shows know. didn't go into, it usually didn't go into uh, because of the copyright involved with the songs. Oh, yeah. That's variety right. shows didn't go into syndication. So you thought, hey, people are going to listen, watch this once, maybe twice on a repeat. So we can do all this schlock. I ca you have to think like 1970s. It came and went. It was all temporary. It, it came and went. the beginning of our disposable throwaway I've society. I've had so many people come up to me, my nephews and stuff like that, and, and nieces go, why didn't you save all this stuff? And all in the 70s I said, first of all, you couldn't. And second of all, you just didn't think that that was... That wasn't, Important wasn't enough our, to be worth saving. It wasn't our culture. Our culture was you watched it and it was over and then you moved on to the next thing. It was never saved. You guys have grown up in a culture just like I always. I always remember what uh, on SCTV, Rick Moranis, the guy with the uh, oh, um, uh, Gerald. Uh, yeah, I forget his name. Yeah. but he was the, uh, the the tech guy, who, the the video guy who had his video <laughs> show before MTV, and he and he said something that actually turned out to be true. And I'm not joking. He he said. Uh, uh, Jerry something, I forgot it. Jerry, I Japanese. Yeah. I think I'm turning Japanese. I really think yeah. so. And he said, tape everything. <laughs> do what I do. Tape everything. And now, that's what every television station does. They tape everything. And now, everything is available. Which was ludicrous at the time. That's why yeah, it was so funny. They don't know at the time. You, you can't know at the time what's going to be liked by people and what's not. You got a good guess, but you can't really know. Exactly. And, boy, to throw and you didn't keep things. Love. I try and tell these young people, you didn't keep things and you didn't care because that was the way culture was. Now we care and we want to see these old things because culture is, has become, we have to save everything and we tape everything. And uh, that's, that's why, getting back to the show, 
why the show is different than an artistic statement like the record because the show you can do you can do a terrible song that you know the audience and the, the people watching on TV are going to like but you don't want to do because you only think it's going to be watched that one time or once on repeats and then it's gone forever but now you can now they got it on DVD and you can buy certain shows and if you want to buy all the Sunny and Share shows you can go and buy them on bootlegs they never imagined that back then. They say we can do this stuff we don't want to do and because, you know... I'm glad people at home, uh, the, the few uh, who had the access to the equipment, had the, the good sense to at least start taping stuff that the studios were throwing out. So it just gives a better... Uh, yeah, all five people that had a bit of history <laughs> and culture. Okay, well, that's it for that subject. And that's it for today's show. Now, next week... We have a band I said we would never have on the show. <laughs> so don't miss that one. And of course, next week I will be here with Rob, who every week I say will never again be on the show. But he always is. And before I sign off, I just have to say it's a long show again. <laughs> <laughs> I swear we started this at about 30 minutes and I said, oh, we'll be done by about 50. And it turned into, again, one of our longer shows. We were eight or nine minutes uh, over the hour mark when I realized I still had stuff to stay. <laughs> it's still my dream to get the 50 minutes. It really is. <laughs> and it will be accomplished someday when we least expect it. I thought it would be today. Eh. So uh, until next week, which is going to be, oh man, next week. I haven't written next week's show yet, but I know in my head it's going to be fabulous. <laughs> I'm thinking teeth. Okay, I don't know what you said. Okay, <laughs> I don't know what you said. All will be revealed next week. Oh yes, like a like a whodunit, like Flash Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so until then, take care and stay safe.